0: Okay, how you doing today? Good. good. We are going to have a good study in the word this morning. Returning to the Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 25. Good to see everybody. Am I looking good? College students, you know? Uh, Sharp-looking, smart, Brilliant people over there. Today' is going to be the parable of the Ten virgins. Good. And uh, this is one of those parables that uh, you have to give a little thought to. And uh, hopefully, we're going to have some good study in it. We're going to go backwards uh, in the previous chapters to sort of set the, the, the scene of what Jesus is saying uh, before he says that, that has a tremendous bearing on what he says in the parable itself. Um, and which I think is, uh, you know, it's always a good idea with any passage of scripture you read to know. Okay, who is the writer talking to? Or in the context of what we're looking at, who is Jesus talking to? Because sometimes he's talking uh, to the disciples, sometimes he's talking to the Jewish leaders, uh, and uh, sometimes he's talking to both, you know, sometimes he's talking to an individual. You know, the woman at the well, he was just talking to a particular person. So it's always important to know, you know, the exact context of what's going on, to really understand a passage of Scripture. And in this case, we're going to go backwards uh, to get chapter 25, uh, beginning in verse 1 there with the parable of the ten virgins. Uh, but I think you'll see how this all fits together. You guys ready? Yeah. Okay, here we go. Let's read it. Beginning uh, chapter 25, verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but they did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out and meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with them, and and, and to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came, Sir, Sir, they they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Now, my subtitle for the, the parable of the ten virgins is this. What does ready look like? Because obviously the point of this parable is to be ready, right? I mean, you can sort of see that pretty easily that Jesus is saying... That there's 10 wise, there's 10 foolish. The 10 foolish brought their lamps, but not any extra oil. The 10 wise brought their lamps, but they also brought some extra oil. And so it came into play that they actually needed the extra oil. And so they were ready, and the others were not. And that's, you know, he ends with saying, therefore, I, uh, you know, I, I tell you, keep watch because you do not know the day. Or the hour. Now, here's what we're going to do. What we're going to do. We're going to go backwards here, a couple of chapters, and we're going to go forward then, and we're going to see what happens that leads up to this parable. Because we're going to see a lot of things that even are said in the parable are said beforehand. So go back to chapter uh, uh, twenty-one. Chapter 21, we're not going to read all this, but we're going to just sort of uh, go along and hitting different things that Jesus says, setting up this scene. So in uh, chapter 21, in verse 1, it says, as they approach Jerusalem. So, okay, here's the setting. They're coming into Jerusalem at this time. They came uh, to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of His disciples, saying, and He sends them ahead, and He tells them to do some things. Then we're going to come on down to verse 12. It says, Jesus entered the temple area. So He was coming into Jerusalem. Now He's actually in Jerusalem. And He's in the temple area. Look on down at verse 14. The blind and the lame came to Him at the temple. And He healed them. So He's healing people in the temple area there in Jerusalem. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that He did, and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna, the son of David, they were indignant. Did you hear what these children are saying? They ask him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You have ordained praise. And he left them, and he went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. And so, the first thing that seems to happen is almost immediately when he gets into town, he has conflict with the Jewish leaders. He's healing people and, and the, uh, the children and, and uh, the people around are going, Hosanna! They're fired up about what's going on. And, and they're offended at this. They're saying, Jesus, tell them to be quiet. And he says, well, haven't you ever read the passage in the Old Testament that says they're going to do this? You know, and so automatically you have this conflict that's going on between Jesus and the, uh, the leaders. And, and come on down then in verse 23. Pick it up there it says Jesus entered the temple court so he goes back in again and while he was teaching the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him by what authority are you doing these things they asked who gave you this authority Jesus replied I will also ask you one question if you answer me I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things John's baptism where did it come from Was it from heaven or from men? They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask then why don't you believe him? But if we say from men, we're afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We don't know. (laughs) Then he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. (laughs) And so you have conflict going on. Back and forth between Jesus and the leaders right there in the temple area. Then he goes on from there. Let's pick it over in in verse 34. Or 33. He says, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it and dug a vineyard and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to the farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he and his servants sent the tenants to collect his fruit. And he goes on and he tells this story about how badly uh, that that the people are treated and and, uh, that doesn't go very good. And he has other conflict with him. He picks it, it up in verse 43. He says, Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people who produce its fruit. He's saying this directly to the the religious leaders. Now listen again to what he said. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Man, he is getting direct in what he's saying to them. Very direct, if you know what I'm saying. Look at verse 45. When the chief priest... And the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables. They knew that he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. Then you've got he, he tells another parable. Then let's pick it up in, in, in verse fourteen of the next chapter twenty-two. He tells this parable, and here's the the sort of the punchline of the parable: for many are invited but few are chosen. Then continue on in verse 15. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap Him in His words. They knew He was talking about them. And they said, we've got to trap this guy somehow. We've got to catch him in what He would say. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Now, the Herodians are just the guys who followed directly Herod, who was the Jewish leader over that entire area. Teacher, they said, We know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Man, are they buttering him up or what? (laughs) You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And he asked them, Whose portrait is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God." what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. And they left him and went away. So he sort of scatters them off for a while. And and then you come down and and it it sort of picks up again. In verse 34, hearing that Jesus has silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. So it's like, okay, you beat this team, we're going to send another team in. (laughs) One of them, an expert in the law, this is, this is sort of their, their top player, okay? <laughs> Tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So he gives him an unbelievable answer. He thought he had a question that he couldn't answer. Jesus not only answers it, but he says in the second it's like it. We're going to come back to that a little bit later and talk about that. Then come on down to verse uh, 46. They have one more sort of inner inner reaction with each other then. And and in verse 46 it says, no one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared ask him any more questions. (laughs) So so Jesus is having... Back and forth, back and forth. Very testy conversation with with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the experts in the law, the elders of the Jewish establishment, the teachers of the law. Chapter 23 then, he is speaking to these people. But we have to understand that the disciples are around hearing what he's saying. Listen to how Jesus speaks to these people. Then Jesus said to the crowd and to the disciples, and of course the the religious leaders would have been around as well. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is for men to see. Then come along a little bit later. In verse 11 it says the greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever wants to exalt himself will be humbled, and whoever exalts himself will be uh, will be uh, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. "Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites!" You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourself do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Look at verse 16. Woe to you, blind guides. Verse 17. You blind fools. Verse 19. You blind men. Verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, And cumin, you've neglected, but you've neglected the important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former, you blind guides. Verse 25, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence, blind Pharisee. Verse 33, You snakes! You brood of vipers, who will, how will you escape being condemned to hell? But yeah, look how, he, look, look how He closes it out though. This is phenomenal, how He closes it out. Verse 37. O oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. Look, your house has left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say blessed to see who comes in the name of the Lord. So, I mean, this is just a scorching rebuke to the religious leaders. But look what, in 24 then, he leaves the temple. Jesus left the temple and He's walking away with His disciples. In verse 3, Jesus is in the Mount of Olives now with His disciples and they come to Him privately. So the context now is moved from Jerusalem out to the Mount of Olives. This is now the disciples in a more intimate setting with Jesus. And he begins to tell them all the things that are going to happen. And we don't have time to read all these things. But pick it up in verse 36. A lot of things he says there about the end times and things that will be happening and things that will have to happen uh, before uh, that happens. And he says in in verse 36, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And he comes on down, look at verse, uh, uh, verse 44. He says, so you must be ready because a Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect Him. And then he goes on down and he says a few more things. Now you have the context of the parable of the ten virgins. What did he just say? So you must be ready. No one knows the hour. No one knows the day. No one knows when this is going to happen. It's going to come out of nowhere. People are not going to be ready. He talks a little bit there about Noah and the days of Noah. These things were going on and bam, one day it starts raining and all of a sudden all mankind is wiped out. Be ready. Be ready. No one knows when it's going to happen. And then he flows right into this parable. And the intent of the parable clearly is, be ready. And therefore I I, I thought, okay, what does ready look like? What kind of lives do we need to be living? What kind of people do we need to be to be ready? What does ready look like? And two of the things, I've got three things here. Two of the things are going to be from what Jesus already said. And see, so I'm just going to reference what He said. And the last one is going to be directly from the parable. Because there's a point in this parable, and I bet when I read it, it hits you like it did me. Wow, I, I'm not sure I get that. I'm not sure I understand that. And, and the, the time is, when they all wake up, they're all asleep, And the the foolish ones say to the wise ones, Hey, help us out. You, You were smart enough to bring some and we weren't. Help us out. And their answer is no. We think, well, that was just selfish. Why didn't they help them out? And that's going to be point number three. Okay? But point number two What does it look like? What does ready look like? And like I said, the first two are going to be from what he already said. Number one, be fruitful. Look back to chapter 21 in verse 43. 21, 43 says, Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, now he's talking to the religious leaders, and given to a people who produce its fruit. Okay, so what does ready look like? The person who's ready is someone who's being fruitful. Now, Jesus actually talks quite a lot about fruitfulness over in John 15. If you'll be turning on over there, we'll read that passage together. This idea of fruitfulness. And and it's it's part part of what must be in a person to be ready. Okay? So uh, uh, John 15 verse 1, I'm the vine and, you are, and my father's a gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you remain in me and I'll remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine and you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Okay, now when we think about fruit, and we we've, we read the passage there in Matthew twenty one, we read the passage here. What is fruit? What is fruitfulness? What is it? Yeah. I think one part is growing in, in your character and who you are. As a And many of those things that Peter mentions in 2 Peter 1 are the exact same things that Paul mentions in Galatians 5 when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And he goes on on in that way. Okay, so fruitfulness is growing, getting larger or having more of these virtues of of the Christian life. And and they're the basics. They're the obvious, right? Love, joy, joy. Peace, Patience. And we can see those things. We can see people around us grow in these virtues, can't we? Yeah. We see a person become more patient. We see a person become more loving. Uh, we observe people around us uh, having uh, a growth in those areas, right? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that true? I mean, that's true in your life, true in my life. Uh, we, we observe that. We, we're like, and we appreciate it sometimes, right? Yeah. We say, well, you know that he used to be a real knucklehead, and uh, you know uh, he's he's almost likable now. Uh, you know, uh, there's growth going on in that person. They're 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 bearing fruit. They're growing. Okay, what else is fruitfulness? <laughs> yes, the, the wife. Okay, is this a rebuttal?" The <laughs> <laughs> Another way of bearing fruit is um, making more disciples. Like as people see you grow your character and and like, how that happened. I mean, that's how I became a disciple, watching a friend become a disciple or a religious disciple. And it interested me how she got there. And um I just think that, the, that part of the fruit is like making more disciples. Sure, yeah. Fruitfulness is helping someone else become a disciple themselves. Now, there's a lot of things that go into someone becoming a disciple, Right? Uh, Someone has to live an example in front of them. Someone has to share their life with them or their faith with them. Uh, Someone generally has to sort of be the person who who studies with them and helps them understand things about their life on a deeper level. There's a lot of people and a lot of things that have to go on, not the least of which is God has to work on their heart, right? But it's, it's part of fruitfulness. It's when we're part of that process. Of someone becoming a disciple. A lot of us became disciples because someone invited us to come to church. Right? Yeah. someone invited us to come to the Bible study that is in our home or in our dorm room or in our apartment or that kind of a thing. And, and that's all part of being fruitful. So we've got two different things here that are part of being fruitful. The virtues of the Christian life growing in our life. Other people becoming disciples because of our life. And those things are both very true. That is what it looks like when someone is a person who's Ready. They're actively, they're presently living an active Christian life. To put it another way, they're part of the solution, not part of the problem. Oftentimes in my life, I have to ask myself, in this group that I'm in at that particular time, whatever group it may be, am I part of the solution or part of the problem? That's a good question to ask yourself sometime. In a business meeting at your place of work, <laughs> you know, say, okay, am I part of the solution or part of the problem? Uh, you know, when you're at a, 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 you know, a, a meeting of your family, wow. we're going to do that in a few weeks here, many of us, with, uh, with uh, Thanksgiving dinners and, and activities relating to holidays and all that. You know, you walk into the room of your family, you need to ask, am I part of the solution or am I part of the problem? Yeah. And, and, and that kind of a thing. But you know, being a, a fruitful person obviously is being part of the solution. You're not the only solution. You're not the solution. You know that's another problem. That may be arrogance. Um, you know, if you if you walk in thinking you always are the solution, uh, that's probably not a good way to go about life either. But the the idea of being fruitful is part of what it means to be ready. And Jesus said that in chapter 21 and verse uh, 43. Okay. Number two, what does it mean? To, what does it look like to be ready? Yes to love God and love people. Look over to chapter 22, uh, back in Matthew chapter 22, and verse 34. And this is uh, a much famous passage, the Great Commandment. Hearing that Jesus and silence the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them an expert in the law and and one uh, commentary I read was theorizing that maybe this was uh, Saul who later became the Apostle Paul. Well, we don't know that. It's an interesting uh, idea perhaps. But anyway, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Love the Lord your God. There seemed to be no hesitation. Jesus seemed to know the answer to this intuitively. Yeah, the, the core of the issue is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. In other words, you're all, all of your being, your emotional in, uh, insides, your thought processes, your outer life, uh, you know, with your, your, uh, uh, your heart, your soul, your mind, your body, whatever, all of your being. This is the first and the greatest commandment. It's it's very important here what Jesus does next. The second is like it. He didn't ask Him what was the top two. He asked Him what is the number one. But Jesus in answering the number one feels compelled to say, and here's number two because they go together. It's like one A and one B. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So he says, listen, if you get this down, you've got it. Love God with all of your being and love people. So that's number two. What does ready look like? Number one is be fruitful. Number two is love God and love people. Many times, it's easier to love God than it is to love people. Because people are disappointing to us. People are annoying to us at times. Uh, People are angering to us. And we all, you know what, from the teenagers down here to the marrieds, to the singles, to the college students, we understand that. Man, people can really be hard to live with. But, you know, they seem to populate the planet. Uh, so, uh, so we, we, we have an, uh, an understanding. If I'm going to be this kind of person that's ready, I've got to deal with both, uh, you know, people around me and I've got to deal with God. I've got to love God and I've got to love people. I'm going to give you an insight on this. Luke 9.23, one of the fundamental passages of discipleship, is that if anyone... Well, you know, okay, I'm going to give you. Well, Luke 9.23, who knows it? He's got, a, he's got a, a loud voice, must be a minister. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If anyone come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. The word there that just that almost stands out, almost as if it's in capitals, is daily. Daily. How do you know if you have an ongoing, alive relationship with God? Is there something happening daily? Yeah, yeah. How do you know that you have an ongoing uh, desire to love people around you? There's something going on daily. Daily. Yeah in your life. And daily is is the great checklist of, of our life. What's going on? Well what's going on? It doesn't really make any difference what went on yesterday. Yesterday's gone. Great, great song about that, Rob. Yesterday's gone. We don't know if we have tomorrow. We might. We can plan for tomorrow. We can intend to do something tomorrow. But you can't, you can't control what happened yesterday. You either did it or you didn't. Amen. You can't do anything about tomorrow today other than plan. You don't know that you're going to have it. The only day you really have control over is today. Yeah.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. Are you loving God today? Amen. Yeah. Are, are you doing anything loving towards someone today? You say, well, I was really nice yesterday. Do I have to do something today? <laughs> I mean, I was super nice yesterday. We had, we had a carryover clause. I mean, can I be really nice and then be a real terror for the next three days? That <laughs> doesn't work that way in, in real life. In real life, the daily thing is a big deal. So what does ready mean? When Jesus says you've got to be ready, point number one is be fruitful. Be a person that's part of the solution, not part of the problem. Number two is love God and love people. And here's number three. Whoa. Let's go back and read that again in 25. Because I'm sure it stood out to you like it did to me. All the virgin had fallen asleep. So they all fell asleep. So being asleep is not the issue. <laughs> the wise and the foolish both were tired. And, and fell asleep been a long day well we know it's going to be a long day because at midnight the guy shows up right so it's, it's late into the evening here's the bridegroom come out and meet him then all the virgins woke up trimmed their lamps the foolish one said to the wise one give us some of your oil our lamps are going out no <laughs> I read that and I was like no what do you mean no what kind of Christians are you No, there may not be enough for both us and you instead go and others go fix your own problem go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself but while they're on their way to buy the oil the bridegroom came the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut Ooh, locked. They come late. Hey, let us in. I, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. So point number one, what's it look like to be ready is be fruitful. Number two is love God and love people. Number three, number three is love God more than anyone. Jesus actually talked about this too. Look over to Luke 14. Luke 14, verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, He said, If anyone comes to Me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters... Yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. See, point number two is love God and love people. Point number three is love God more than people. Who are the people that most likely would be involved in drawing anyone away from their commitment to Christ? It would be the relationships in our life that really mean a lot. And that we value the most. Those are the people that have our ear. Those are the people we most likely are going to listen to. Who does Jesus mention? His father and mother. His wife and children. Yes, he in his own life. He doesn't say friends there, but friends would very much fit into that category. I'm pretty sure that in most cases, this is something that needs to be lived out and not said. i not sure you're really going to influence people for the good saying to them, I love God more than I love you. You're probably not going to win their hearts in both cases. Yeah. That probably would fall into a foolish thing to say. Yeah. Have you ever said foolish things in your life? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I hate to tell you, I have. And, and I look back on some of the foolish things I said, I'm like, oh God. And some of the time, foolish things we said we don't remember, others we can't forget. Yeah. You know, what I said to Chris the day we started dating. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> when, when we started dating, oh, I said, "If you leave the Lord, I will drop you like a hot potato." Oh, no. <laughs> <Wow>. oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm lucky she didn't drop me like a hot potato yeah. <laughs> right there. That falls in the category of stupid. Not, don't do that. Oh, my minister said. No, 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 I'm sharing stupidity here. Uh, don't, don't, don't follow that. That wasn't a good idea. You know, some things need to be lived, not said. That's good. I'm not sure you say this but I am sure it needs to be lived out in such a way that it's obvious. That the highest priority in your life is to get to the banquet and not endanger it and not let it be endangered by somebody else. If you have relationships in your life that are going to endanger your relationship with God, You better ask yourself, are those the kind of relationships you need to get to the banquet? What I said to Chris was rude and unnecessary. But it did communicate what I meant. You know, a lot of you singles in the room here, you want to get married, you want to have a great husband, you want to have a great wife. The first thing that your future husband or your future wife better understand is the highest priority in your life is your relationship with God and not them. Because if they don't understand that, they may have the wrong impression of who you really are or who you should be. Jesus, when He tells parables... He throws a zinger in the parable that would just hit you like a punch in the forehead. Bam! It's almost that way in every parable. There's a hit. There's a moment in the parable where he brings it down and he brings it hard. Now, in fairness, is Jesus any more direct to the disciples than he was to the Pharisees and teachers of the law? Man, he laid them out in chapter 23. But he isn't hard on the Jewish leaders and then fooling around and being Mr. Nice Guy with the disciples. He challenges their hearts just as surely as he challenges the hearts of the religious leaders earlier. It's an unbelievable parable the most important thing I got out of this parable in preparing it and thinking about you guys what does ready look like? because I I really want to be ready I I don't think at every moment in my life I'm Mr. Awesome I know there's moments in my life where I need to be more than I am but I want to be ready Jesus said no one knows the hour no one knows the day There's been people that have been predicting for years. Oh, it's going to be here. It's going to be there. It's going to be something else. You know what I know when someone predicts they got the day? Is I know what it ain't going to be is that day. (laughs) We got to pass on that day. (laughs) Because that knucklehead sure he knows what it is. But it's a promise that it will come at a time in our lives when we're not thinking it's going to be at that time. Yeah. And so the concept, the idea that Jesus is trying to give His disciples, this is not in the temple courts. He's not battling back and forth with the Pharisees and Sadducees and teachers of the law. They're up all by themselves. Probably later in the evening with a campfire type situation. And He's, he's teaching them. He's challenging them. He's calling them to be the kind of people that they needed to be. And He says, Guys, you've got to live your life To be ready. To be ready at any moment. Hope this parable has been a good study for you today. And a good... Even going back a few chapters and sort of, you know, getting... uh, You may have been wondering where I was going when I was doing that. But but it does all fill in and fit in when you understand what he said previously and how it fills into that parable. But, uh, hey, let's have a great week this week. Have a great week!